0: All right. Well, everybody's checking their phones. Did I read the email correctly? Yes. Lynn could not be here tonight. Hi. I'm sorry. I feel like you're used to Greg and you're expecting Lynn. I feel sad. Um, <laughs> the missions guy. All right, but I'm glad to be here. So um, thank you. You didn't have to do that. You should do more of it, though. All right. Just kidding. All right, so we, um, I am, for those who don't know me, um, my name is Chris Hadet, and I'm the pastor of missions and outreach here and now sports ministry. And we are excited about what God is doing um, here in Chandler, in Arizona, and all around the world. Um, We have a mission team heading out this weekend to Mexico. Um, another mission team heading out in a couple of weeks to India, Kenya, and Jamaica are both firing up, so it's, it's just a great time to be um, part of missions, and sports ministry is going to be kicking off um, in less than a month, um, actually about a month, um, we're going to be playing a lot of sports, for all the way from football to bowling to volleyball, basketball, softball, so a lot of exciting things coming up, but I'm, I'm excited to be here tonight. Tonight is The Mine. Um, how many of you, this is your first time at The Mine? Very good. Well, I'm glad to have you here. How many of you are grizzled veterans? This is this is where you call home every Tuesday night. Good. All right. How many were here last year during the mine? Let's see if I. Okay. Good. All right. Well, um, I got yesterday. I got the call. Hey, can you fill in? So bear with me tonight. On the back, you have a handout. So make sure you grab that. I just took a look at it. So I'm going to make sure I at least hit these questions. From what I understand, you are in Acts chapter 15. Is that correct? Oh, flip, please. No, we're on Acts 3. Uh, Acts chapter 15, right? All right, good. All right, so if you have your Bibles or your phones, flip, scroll, do whatever you can to get to Acts chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1 tonight. Um, I I believe Greg um, went through um, two chapters last week, and so um, we are flying at a, a really cool pace here, so we will pick it up on really a hinge point. Um, I remember growing up, and um, I first started going to church um, in Yucaipa, California, and I I was hit and miss, and then my senior year, I ended up, um, right before I was graduating, I ended up coming to one of these big, huge days, what we now know as friend days, and um, Pastor Lynn was the youth pastor at that time, and I remember... Um, Going in there, going, oh, that guy's goofy, but that's cool. I like that. And started going to the youth group, graduated, became one of those guys that just never left. So I just stayed in the high school youth group, uh, ended up becoming a sponsor, uh, then an intern, then a youth pastor, and the rest is history. And I remember um, all those times um, listening to Lynn way back in the day. He always said this, even back when he was a youth pastor, that there are certain hinge points in every person's life, there are certain hinge points in every ministry's life where where they could choose to go one way or the other. And their choice is huge. And and right here, we get into a powerful, powerful hinge point um, in the history of the early church. In fact, last week was another giant hinge point. And so I want to just go back there and, and make sure we all caught the massive hinge points. Let's actually go back to 13 real quick because this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's one of those, man, if they don't choose correctly. So let's look at this, Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And I love this. While they were worshiping, so while they were gathered together worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Huge moment in the history of the world. Huge moment. If you have a pen or a highlighter or blood, whatever, just make sure you mark this section of the Bible. Here we have a church in Antioch. Look who they have on their staff. Okay, we got Saul, Barnabas. This is, a, this is a powerful staff. I think we've got a pretty good staff here at Cornerstone, but Antioch, that's the place to be. And so this was a church that had every potential of being everything a church would want to be. And when, and when Barnabas wasn't able to make it, it was Saul that got to take over. You know, it, it was really good stuff. And there came a moment in this church, a time, a hinge point where God looked down and said, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me two of your big guns. In other words, we want them to no longer be at your church, but we want to send them off. Church had a powerful decision there. And they answered it in verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed... They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Everybody, put your thumb right there. Put your thumb right there and your fingers at the back of your Bible. Everything you're holding is because a church was obedient at a hinge point in their life. The church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, on and on and on again because one church said, you know what? We're gonna obey God's word, even though man, Antioch could have blown up. This Antioch could have been the greatest mega church ever. Antioch actually pretty much disappears after this, and so we get to 15, and the church has another one of those moments. And this is not a local city church. This is the church has another hinge point moment where they can either choose to go for God or they can go. You know what? I like it the way it's currently sitting, and we're going to keep it this way. You've been going through Acts, and so you know you know Acts is written by Luke. It's the back half of the book of Luke. We know that Acts is sort of split into three categories, and you see the split in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verses... Verse seven says this, and he said to them, "It is not for you to know." And they, let's back up. Um, verse six, they said. Then they gathered around him and asked him, "Lord, are you going to at this time restore your kingdom to Israel?" He said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Check this out in Jerusalem." And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then after that, Jesus is gone. Now imagine that church at that moment. Fresh off of the crucifixion of Jesus. That's still, it takes a little while to get over something like that. Now they've seen Jesus, the risen Christ... They've walked and talked and ate with Jesus as the risen Christ, and they have got to be so excited as this young church of about 120 people, this little church plant, and they've got to be so excited. Oh, the kingdom is finally going to be set up. The kingdom is finally going to be set up. We're finally going to get rid of the tyranny of Rome. And just like in the old days, when people came to sit at the feet of Solomon, the kingdom will now be set up in Jerusalem and Jesus will be on its throne. And then Jesus drops a bomb on them. They're like, okay, when's it gonna start? When's it gonna start? He's all, it's not for you to know. But, oh, you hate following buts. But I need you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Please, please, please step into the sandals of the church at that moment. Say, what? You mean we, we've still got to work? We've we still got to go out and you're not going to set up the kingdom of mouth? So we've got to go out to Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem's okay. We, we can talk about Jesus here because most people here have seen Jesus, the risen Christ. They know about the crucifixion. They know what's happened. We can point him to the, the empty tomb if we need. So that's not that big a deal. But then the next bomb hits. Oh, whoa. We didn't, we've got to get out of our city and we've got to go to Judea? Yeah. Um, not all of them have heard. This is going to be a little more difficult. This is going to be a little more persuasive. Uh, we might get persecuted here, Jesus. Don't leave yet. Oh, what? Samaria. Samaria. You mean that that group of people we don't even look at, that we walk miles around to avoid the very sight of them? This is where we send all our lepers. That's Samaria, the Muggles, the half bloods, the, them? We got to go there? The end of the world? Wait a second. You're telling me, Jesus, that after all we've been through, we, we had your back? Well, not always, but most of the time. We've got to go to Rome? To Egypt? To, we've got to go to the Gentiles, the people that don't even belong here. What? Imagine that. And so then we see as Acts starts to be, as as the historian Luke starts to develop Acts, and we see chapters one through eight. And, and chapters one through eight really focuses in on Jerusalem. And then after Steve, uh, Stephen, and, and it gets spread out a little bit, chapters um, 9 through 12 starts hitting into the, the Judea-Samaria area. And then last week, you guys talked about 13 and 14, and, and that's the first missionary journey. It took about two years, and this is the first step out of the boat. This is the first step to go around the world. And when you go around the world, you're going to come shoulder to shoulder with who? The Gentiles. And it didn't take long for people to start going, eh, I don't know about this anymore. I'm pretty comfortable where we're at. We saw this in in ancient Israel when they got to the promised land and many of the tribes just stopped. You know, I'm pretty comfortable here. I'm not going to continue the fight, God. We got what we want. And so now we pick up into a crazy moment. As, as, as Paul returns from the first missionary journey, it took about two years, now we're, we're sitting at about AD AB 50, okay? Chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So, so we've got some, some fuddy-duddies. We've got some people that aren't, aren't, aren't liking the fact that as Paul came back, the great Majority of his reports were not how Jewish people were seeing Jesus, but how Gentiles, those heathens, those pagans, all these words we Christians like to use, those secular music listener people, that they are hearing about Jesus now. That's my Jesus. And all of a sudden you start seeing people stirring the pot a little bit. That doesn't happen today at all, does it? (laughs) I'm the missions guy. For sure Does Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so now we get get this picture. We've got got Antioch. Now, Antioch would serve as a base. Antioch sent Paul, okay, he obeyed the hinge point, and then Paul would go on his missionary journeys, and you would always come back to the base, okay? And so at the base, there are people that are not liking the fact that um, um, Gentiles are turning their lives over to Jesus. And not just some Gentiles, huge amounts of Gentile believers in every place they went. Churches were being started. Cities were being stirred with the Holy Spirit and, and Paul, imagine Paul and Barnabas, have you ever come back and you're so excited to report something or maybe it's Christmas and you're so excited for your kids to open that package and they open it up and they're like, is that it? And you're like, could you imagine Paul and Barnabas walking into that moment and just going, are you kidding me? You're You're upset. You're, up, you're upset about that? I remember when I was a youth pastor. And um, I had the opportunity to go around um, and work with a youth organization. We get to speak at different places around the United States. And we, we, we just finished this, this, this huge event and many, many, many Students came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They got followed up on. They got placed into the different youth groups. And we were so excited. And, and, and we were able to not only speak to youth, but parents and, and adults. And, and I remember coming back, and I was so excited to go, man, you, you would not believe. And I just walked through the report of how many people accepted Christ. And, and there, there were like a 1,000 youth that turned their life over to Jesus. A campus got turned upside down. And I had a couple people go, oh, that's great about the youth. How many adults accepted Christ? I'm like, uh, and I gave them this many. They totally devalued the fact that youth were accepting Christ. And, and we, that happens all the time. And, and I can just see this sadness on Paul's face. And he comes into sharp dispute with them. And then they come down to Jerusalem. Now, now the head of the church there is um, James brother of Jesus and a lot of the the apostles. Imagine being in this meeting. You talk about being a fly on the wall. Imagine being in this meeting. Here's Paul and here's Barnabas and here's James and here's Peter. Imagine listening to that theological discussion. And he gets down there. And did you notice something that, that was interesting? In verse five. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of what? the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. What on earth are Pharisees doing in my church? So you can have the reverse prejudice too. And a lot of people don't realize that the Christian movement, it came from 100% Jewish culture and it exploded out. And a lot of Pharisees, and Pharisees get a bad rap, and a lot of it deservingly so. But there were a lot of Pharisees that authentically had a zeal for God, and they just didn't get the connection. And many of them, when presented the gospel, turned their lives over to Jesus. But for many of them, it was hard, even though they had Jesus in their heart, they they were saved, it was hard to let go Of some of the religion some of the tradition and we we see this over and over again and we don't understand that that Jesus is bigger than all that and that it's all about a relationship and not a religion in fact religion destroys people and so we had even Pharisees in here who were believers the Gentiles must be circumcised required, um, and required to keep the law of Moses. So they wanted them to hold on to that. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Again, a meeting I would love to have been at. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Thank you, Peter. It is by grace that we have been saved. Paul would reference this again to the Ephesians. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is not by anything you've done, anything you can do, anything that you are doing. It is by grace. You are saved and you are justified by grace. Nothing more. It doesn't matter how often you attend church. It doesn't matter how well you know the Bible. It doesn't ma- None of that matters as far as accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you are justified, you are saved from that penalty. You are saved permanently from the penalty of sin. And then as Peter finished, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Again, this is a meeting that you'd want to be at. James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Now, he's the pastor. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this as it is written. And I love, and this is a huge thing for us to understand, always go back to Scripture. Always point back to Scripture. Even Jesus himself, when tempted in the desert, pointed back to Scripture all three times. And listen to what he says. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So here you have Peter, boom. Paul and Barnabas, ba-boom. Then James, boom. Then Scripture, boom. All answering the same question. Can a person come to jesus without becoming a jew first without coming to israel first can they do this without being circumcised can they do this without following the law and here's the pharisees who who were were conservative politically but they they were fairly moderate in their belief And they they believed wholeheartedly in scriptures, but the the Pharisees also believed in a whole myriad of oral tradition that was added to the law, and Jesus fought against that. And here are some of these believers who came from the Pharisees who were still identifying themselves as Pharisees, still trying to hold on. In your life, what what are those things that, that you've held on to that you just can't let go of it? Some of these traditions, some of these things that you're like, oh, man, I really hate the way they do that. That's not, that's not the way Jesus worshipped. And it, I enjoy going overseas and seeing for the first time believers seeing worship in a completely different context seeing church in a completely different... The way we do church is so foreign to the rest of the world. When we're down in Jamaica, there, there's a saying that we, we hurry up and wait. We get there on time and then we wait until they're ready to roll, until the Holy Spirit's ready to enter the building. And, and the style of worship's different. In Kenya, the style of worship's different. But the one undeniable thing it. Is the Holy Spirit's the same? God's the same today, tomorrow. God's the same as he was from the beginning of time. And one of, the, one of the mistakes that missions made so many times in the history of the church is we need to change them to the way we do things before they can come to know Jesus. We saw this in America as we tried to Americanize cultures before we showed them Jesus. And here is the church dealing with that very same thing. This church that was based in Jerusalem, this church that's still filled with predominantly Jews going out and they're like, alright God, I'll go, I'll go. We'll, we'll tell about the gospel but they need to dress the way we do. They need to do things the way we do. It's just, God, that's the way we've always done it. And Paul Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, is going, no, no. Why make it hard for someone to come to Jesus Christ? Why, why do churches, and I think Cornerstone does a great job at making it easy for people to come and be comfortable and find Jesus. But sometimes it, it, we as Christians, and I've been in that boat, we, we can make it really hard for people. As a youth pastor, it was so hard when I would have people saying, um, that kid can't come on our campus until he takes his hat off, or that kid can't come on our campus until they stop smoking, or that kid can't come on our campus because they've got tattoos and they're the devil, and, that, and whatever it was. And, and we do so much to get in the way. And I, I absolutely love at this hinge point in a church where a church could so easily has succumbed to the pressure and said, you know what, we're big enough. We've done a lot of good things. We've got an incredible staff. We're fairly comfortable. We're making headway in Jerusalem. We're, we're, we're moving in Judea. Um, we're sending n- notes to Samaria, whatever. And we're, we're making moves, but this is the final straw. We, we can't have this happen. And I love how the church came back. And they did it in a letter so let's keep going. By the way, if you have questions, I can't see any of you in here because of the lights, but if you have, just raise your hands and they will find you. Um, and so we get to the, we get to the letter. Oh, and, and before we get there, at the very end of that, you'll notice that they just got done saying, hey, we shouldn't make it hard for these people to find Jesus, but then they do add some things. In verse 20, instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood for the law of moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times and it is read in the synagogues on this very day now now they were issuing a new commandment within this letter they were giving a, a strong suggestion okay on several of these items now sexual morality is definitely stronger. But they, they're looking at these guys and going, okay, here's a bunch of Gentiles. Now, we need to put it in the context of where they're going. These Gentiles, many of them in this Hellenistic age are worshiping at temples for gods. The temple of Diana, the temple of Zeru, whatever temple is in that particular city. And in many of these temples, the style of worship is this. They would go in and they would eat these these. These foods that uh, it, it was just, it was like going to, um, I don't know, Foga de Brasa or whatever, and just pound yourself with meat, and just, it, it was just a different style that the Jews were different. And, and then one of the ways they would worship was through temple prostitutes, okay? And so you could see how that's gonna, that's gonna fit in with the, the Jewish culture. Um, I'm sure they've had a good men's ministry in those temples, but um, it's not really how. God wants us to worship. And so they're saying, you need to let go of some of those things that are clearly not right, okay? You need to let go of some of those things. That way, it, it, it will be a little easier for the two sides to come together. Then the apostles and elders, with the whole church, okay, so as you now, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. So they chose, they sent, they sent Paul and Barnabas back, and then they sent two other men who had a strong testimony. Why would they do that? Well, it gives validity to the letter, because Paul and Barnabas could have gone down there. All right, we'll get our answer, walked all the way down there. All right, walk back. Yeah, they said it's, um, it's exactly how we said. And No one would have believed them. So they had to bring someone back with them to testify with them, saying, this is what the church, in the direction of James, who's under the direction of the Holy Spirit, has said. And they wrote it in a letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. "...men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements." You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexuality or from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So you will do well. Please. T- Farewell. Short and sweet. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they, went, they were sent off by the believers with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So here you have the early church, and it's booming, and it's obeying God. God. And it's taking that step because God said go and, and they went and, and, and they're figuring it out because keep in mind when this question came out they didn't go well you need to turn to James chapter it didn't exist yet it didn't exist yet most of the New Testament was written after this part in history So they went to the sources, the guys who would write it, and said, what does God say about this? What's God's opinion on this? Do Gentiles deserve Jesus? Do Gentiles deserve Jesus? And again, we look at that question now and go, well, of course they do. Of course they do. But please put yourself back into the context of the day. The Gentiles were the ones that were murdering their families. The Gentiles were the ones that were oppressing them. This is very, very similar to Jewish people saying, we need to go to the Gentiles, which includes Germany, includes Hitler, includes all them. And I can see a lot of people going, yeah, nope. Nope. hey, I know it's a year after 9-11, but the Taliban, they they need Jesus. Nope, not me. So it sort of brings us back to Jonah, where he said, God said go. He's like, hey, nope. I hate those people. And we do this even when we don't realize we're doing this. Because as a Christian, and I, I, again, I should preach with the mirror, as as a Christian, we get so comfortable with our Jesus and the way we do things, and and, and that very very Jesus that we desperately needed when we were drowning in separation apart from God, when we we finally found him, it's like being in a lifeboat, we've talked about this before, where, where you're before you got to that salvation that is the lifeboat, you were, you were flailing and you were grasping for anything you can hold on to, gasping for air, hoping and praying that some way, somehow, you would be saved. And then when you finally get pulled out of the icy waters of sin, out of the icy waters of separation, many believers spend a couple years getting dry. Spending a couple years in the lifeboat Getting the hands from stop from shaking and getting warm and, and, and eating the food. And, and many times after someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, man, they are on fire in the church. I want to learn everything. I'm going to be at the mind. I'm going to be at the word. I'm going to be at focus. I'm going to be at every small group. I'm going to be at this and that. Second Saturday. And they are on fire. But something happens along the way if we're not careful. It's one of those hinge point moments. In our lives, something happens when we're in the lifeboat and and we realize I'm dry, I'm fed, I I fully understand that I'm safe and I'm secure. And then there's that decision which way do I row? Do I row away from the disaster? Because that's the safest move. That's the safest move because everybody else is flailing. They could, they could capsize us. They could, pull, they could pull me in. They could splash cold water back on me. I don't want that anymore. Or we could take that decision and turn it towards Jesus because Jesus is over that way and start rowing towards him and start reaching out our hands and pulling people back in, cold and wet and, and, and people, people that are flailing, people that don't understand the way we have things in the lifeboat. No, and we're gonna bring these people into our lifeboat, but that is the church. That's our job. This is a lifeboat, and this lifeboat is getting bigger, but this lifeboat fails the very definition of what it was called to do in being a lifeboat if it's not saving lives. There's Acts 15. Will we be a lifeboat or will we row the other way?" I did a message on this. The Titanic. All but one rowed away from the disaster. Only one returned, and they delayed, which left the Titanic with the ultimate tragedy. Not that there wasn't enough lifeboats on board for everybody, which was true, but the, the ultimate tragedy was that there was enough lifeboats for everybody in the water and they left them. Paul is out there just pulling people in. Soak and wet, gross, sinful people that don't know what they're doing because they just got done almost drowning. And he's drying them off And trying to put him in a different lifeboat to go and follow with him. So, are we ready to go? I thank God for this church here in Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15. This local church in Antioch that first sees that moment to realize that they had a mission beyond themselves, beyond their city. And then the church, the church led by James and Peter and the apostles, that said, Nope. Even though the way they do things and where they're coming from is disturbing, even though that nation continues to oppress us, even though this Hellenistic culture is vile. We this day, and I guarantee if they all signed it, it would have all been like John Hancock big. We unanimously state that this church will be about everyone, not someone. Everyone, whether they are Jew or Gentile. And Paul would go on, Paul would go on. And throughout his letters, you see, you see what came out of this meeting reflected in his letters to the Ephesians. It's by grace. To the Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As Scripture says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That came out of this argument many years earlier. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between man and woman. American, Mexican, black, white, Iraqi. There's no difference between, check this out, Democrat and Republican. Same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And as a church, even though we practice different things, we need to come together on this one issue. A soul is a soul is a soul is a soul. I don't care if they live in Chandler or Nairobi or Kingston or Tenali, Rocky Point, doesn't matter. A soul is a soul is a soul. I don't care how wet they are, how how sinful they are, what they do, what they dress like, what they live like. A soul is a soul is a soul, and everyone needs Jesus for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. That is the church. That's what we're supposed to be. And I know I'm speaking to the choir, correct? (laughs) I always used to say at the mine, if you come to the mine just to learn, you're coming for the wrong reason. Because the church is not meant to be a university. It's meant to be a hospital. So if you're coming to learn how to save, God bless you. God bless you. This, This is what we're all about. This is why we dig into the word. This is why we look at the heroes of old, those that are listed in Hebrews 11, those heroes, those those Davids, those Daniels, those Moseses, those Noahs, those Rahabs. By the way, I just mentioned murderers and adulterers and prostitutes. And yeah, those people that at some point in their life got on their knees and accepted Jesus and understood that, that God was their Lord. And for many of them, even before Jesus walked the earth as a man, It's because they knew what it was all about. And no one's perfect. Let's look at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Paul and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. What a life. Have you ever stopped and said, what would, a li- what would Paul's life have been like? Imagine that. Imagine growing up the Hebrew of Hebrews, well-educated by the, the great teachers, not only, not only in Hellenistic culture, but also in, in biblical culture, in Scripture, by the great teachers and rabbis of the day. And here's a guy who was commissioned, and you've already looked at this, who was commissioned to go out and murder people, to kill people, to drag men and women out and put them to death because they are preaching the name of Jesus, dragging them out of their houses. That's the guy that God chooses. Is that the guy you would have chosen? Think about it. Think about it this way. Imagine if at some point in history, Osama bin Laden turned his life to Christ and then came back to America for the Crusades in all the big stadiums. How well would that have worked? Here's Paul going to some of the very towns where he dispatched of zealots for Jesus. And now he's saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God chooses crazy people (laughs) to do crazy things because God knows what he's doing. God knew that no one on earth could have done the plan that he laid out for Paul. Paul was a special guy to, to be able to do that. To be, able to, to be able to ride that fence between. To be able to, to not only have, have that Roman card to play, but the, the Greek card to play, but also the Jewish card to play. Um, to be able to get all sides. To be able to change his message in a synagogue in Antioch and completely flip the style and the way he preached on Mars Hill up in Athens, Greece. What an incredible man. What's our calling? What are we to do? I want to encourage you. um, Step out of that boat. I'm assuming most of you in here at some point in your life made a a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you were justified. We probably should take a a moment on that because it's talked about here in the last couple chapters. It's possible to be saved and, and not really follow Jesus We call those the frozen chosen. (laughs) It's possible to to have been justified because because you've turned your life over to Christ. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You've confessed your sins. And once and for all, Jesus took your sins and and threw them as far as east is from west. And you are justified from the penalty. That means you can never be condemned for your sin. You can never lose it, no matter what you do. That's what the Bible talks about. Once you're there... No one's powerful enough to take you out of God's hand. But for many of us, we forget there's the other piece, the, the whole sanctification part that you can lose, that day-to-day walk with Jesus. And I don't know about you, some of you are probably just on fire and, and walking straight, but my days do a lot of this. <laughs> and I like ah! Oh, you know? and, and it's these moments where you need to stop, repent, and come back to Jesus. Not for your penalty, because again, that was taken care of. But to come back in the, the presence of God, to come back in, in into the right relationship, to be on that path, to live that life worthy of the calling. That's what the mind is part of. That's what adult ministries are here. That's what it means to grow. At Cornerstone, we do three things. What are they? Okay, at Cornerstone, we should do three things. What are they? And grow, okay? Worship, grow, serve, okay? Or however you want to say it. No, grow, go. It doesn't matter. Um, Worship, grow, serve. And and Pastor Lynn says, you know, we, we would love for everybody to at least spend one hour a week in worship. One hour a week in a growth, which is what this is. One hour a week in serve. And we are to grow in our knowledge of God Not for knowledge's sake, but so we can get out there and serve. And when we grow the way God wants us to grow, worships better, serves better. It's weird, they all three work that way. When we worship the way God wants us to worship, grows better, serves better. When we serve the way God wants us to serve, grows better, worships better. They all three work together. God does really cool things in threes. And so my challenge to you, and it's a challenge to myself because you think pastors have it all together, thank God for justification. Thank God that my sin has been taken care of once and for all because I mess up all the time, sometimes small, sometimes large. And thank God that it's by grace that not only was I saved once and for all, but it's by God's grace that he brings me back. And he doesn't, he doesn't even necessarily bring me back to this path. A lot of times we think, oh my gosh, I'm so far off the path, I can never get back there. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus says, here I am. Are you ready? Forging a new path. That's how it works. It's really cool that way. So my challenge is, keep coming, man. Keep digging. Keep asking those questions, which you haven't asked yet. But keep asking those questions. Keep digging into God's word. And then get out there and do it. Again, not a university, but a hospital. Get out there and do it. How many have been to Second Saturday here? Okay. Every Second Saturday, head on out here. It's a blast. We're over in in Second Saturday. Second Saturday is over in the student center. We meet, we worship for for 30 minutes, and then we go out into the community and become the hands and feet of Jesus. And and we do anything and everything um, to be... Jesus, to someone who desperately needs it. Um, Serve within the ministries. Serve overseas. How many have ever been on a mission trip with Cornerstone? Powerful way to see God at work, to be be that, that witness to people that so desperately need it. So I would challenge you, maybe God's been... Moving on your heart. Man, I, I, I heard mama up here and I, I hear this story about these 220 orphans and I would love to be part of that. And let me warn you ahead of time, you won't go over there and teach much, but you will go over there and learn a lot because those orphans are phenomenal teachers in the art of worship. India, man, India is about to become the most populous nation in the world. There are so many logs that need to be lifted over there, so many things that we as the American church need to go over there and help the Indian church. So many people are fighting a caste system, are fighting false religion, and we can get in there and make a difference. Jamaica, we are in front of, in two weeks, in front of 30,000 people presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Down here in Mexico, Second Saturday on steroids. We get down there and and we just work and work and work and it's a lot of fun. But again, a soul's a soul's a soul. Many of us have family members, here's my mirror, that need to hear about Jesus before it's too late. Many of us have friends and neighbors and workers, employees and employers that need to hear about Jesus. And maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe you're not the Paul or the Barnabas how about be that Andrew that grabs someone's wrist and, and brings them to a place where they will see Jesus. Bring them here. There's a lot of empty chairs, even on Sunday mornings. Don't necessarily bring them here if they don't know Jesus. Bring them Sunday morning where they'll hear about Jesus. Bring them to a place where they'll hear about Jesus. Do whatever it takes to stand in that gap so they can hear about Jesus. Jesus. I'm not going to push too far. I don't want Greg to get back and go, oh, we're on 21. So I'm going to try. I'm just going to stay with 15. So um, I'm looking at the handout. What question did Paul and Barnabas bring to the apostles? What did the council say to the Gentiles? How do we feel about the struggle between religion and relationship? And do we feel the council made the right decision? What is religion and relationship? We, we, we fully understand that Christianity is not a religion. Everybody agree? It is not a religion. Don't ever let anybody tell you it is a religion. It is not a religion. It is a relationship. It's a relationship with the creator of the universe. As we said before, religion has done nothing but hurt, maim, and steal from the beginning of time. It's man-made. It's fake. It's a relationship. Is there any questions on chapter 15 or back a couple? And if I don't know it, I'll email Greg
1: I'm confused about the part that says something about avoid strangled animals I mean I thought we were allowed to eat meat and what's the what's special about strangled animals
0: again this was this was as I said this wasn't a commandment this was a this was a cultural thing and this was a a, a thing that they were asking um at least on those things Please don't do this because it's highly, highly offensive to half the people that are around you. It's sort of one of those, and gosh, maybe I'll get in trouble here. It's one of those things like with alcohol. Um, There's that that gray area where you're like, well, does the Bible say we can't drink or whatever? And um, I know know Lynn and Cornerstone, at least for the staff, saying, you know what? Um, We know it's probably permissible, but because it causes so much damage and there might be a perception issue, we're going to ask that you don't. And so this is the same, same type of thing. Now, obviously, sexual immorality is not the same same type of thing. But, yeah, we're, we're fine to eat meat. I mean, you go back, uh, for those in Journey 180, you go back to Genesis. Yeah, we were originally, before the fall, we were all vegetarians. But then after after the fall, this is not saying that meat eaters are evil, but after the fall, God did give us permission. I think it's Genesis 8, 9, could be wrong, but um, where we were given permission to, to eat meat. So there's nothing we're <laughs> wrong with me. Uh, say that i i i i don't I don't think so so much it was just more of a, a cultural thing um, honestly I, I wouldn't want to know how they make hot dogs <laughs> so uh, <laughs> some of the things our chickens go through bless their heart <laughs> yes, yes, hey, hey buddy.
1: Uh, Last week uh, when Greg ended, uh, he gave us two verses uh, in chapter 13, uh, verse 39, I think it was. It said, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Okay. Uh, And then he he said, he answered that saying, you know, it's grace and nothing else. But then he read us 49. He said, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored uh, the word of, of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Uh, he said, uh, next week you should ask uh, Lynn, who was supposed to be here, to answer that second part. Why, why did they just have to believe in, the, in one verse, but uh, they were appointed... Uh, uh, so they would believe in the in the second one.
0: Well, isn't he a sweetheart? All right. Well, let's look at this. <laughs> All right. Um, so it was Acts thirty or thirteen. Thirty-eight. Okay. Let me read that. Um, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free um, from every sin. A justification. You were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Yeah, I think it all rests on that word justification. I think you were set free from all sin, all condemnation, all penalty that came from any sin because you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. So all sin was removed as far as east is from west. You cannot be held liable for any of that as far as being condemned, okay? So let me break this down a little bit. There are two types of judgments in heaven, okay? There's one that's a condemning one, and if you were with us in Revelation, that's the great white throne. If you're in front of the great white throne, you're in big trouble, okay? This is a condemning trial. This is a trial that says you are condemned and you are eternally separated. Remember, God doesn't throw anybody into hell. Everybody's already separated when they get before God, and he just leaves them at that spot, okay? So that's what that means. So all sin is gone as far as 38. Now, the other one is a fun one. Again, did Greg answer that at all? No? Bless his heart. (laughs) Lynn owes me lunch. All right, so here we go, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. I'm assuming... He brought that up because of the controversy between whether someone has been appointed their salvation or not, whether they are um, foreordained or, fore, uh, or God knew by, by his foreknowledge or he knew it by, by foreordaining someone. Um, and so that's a big controversy. It's the, it's the uh, predestination versus the non-predestination, Calvinist, you know, that whole thing. And I'm going to be straight up with you. There are theologians that are brilliant on both sides of the issue, on both sides of the issue that will argue it and bring verses to bear on both sides of the issue that on one side, God is, God is sovereign and he, and, and he, before the beginning of time, appointed certain people to heaven and certain people that would not receive Christ. And then there are those who are just as adamant on the other side that say, you know what, we have a free will, okay? And our free will allows us to choose whether we are going to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord or we n- don't even have that option because God already planned the other way, okay? I could tell you where, me, where I fall on that. Um, I would be on this side that we have free will, that we have um, the opportunity um, um, to accept Jesus, um, whoever we are, um, that, that God brought That God's plan and purpose from the beginning of time was that none will perish, but that all would have the opportunity um, to hear the gospel, to accept or reject Jesus. But I do get, I do fully get that you you can bring to bear some verses here, and definitely in other places um, in Corinthians and, and what have you, that that seem to point to well. Man, maybe God has predestined certain people. As an evangelist, I really hope this side's true. I hope that 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 people do have that that free will. But again, there are people on both sides, and so it'd be it'd be arrogant for me to come up here and say they're wrong, I'm right. There are people on both sides that would argue equally as strong. I, Lynn is also on the free will um, side as well, um, and just, I, I can't remember who said it, but. Um, he said, "Every river needs two banks in order for the water to run <laughs> um, um, straight." So, um, my best answer on on that particular, I would say, um, where was it again? It was 38, right? 38. No, 48. Okay. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored um, the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed. Um, this is NIV, your King James probably says or, ordained. Um, um, again, I, I would say that's not a for ordained, that's just ordained that those who received the message at, at, at that time were, were appointed at that given time, not before the beginning of time, um, if that makes any kind of sense. So I believe that God, um, from the beginning of time, wanted all to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and and wants us as a church to not stop and not sit back and go, well, he already knows who's gonna get there. Why do I need to? know that we all need to go and tell everybody. We all need to present the gospel to everybody, whether Jew or Gentile, um, doesn't matter. So I would fall back that that verse um, right now, just off the cuff, I'm not gonna be able to, to break down the Greek for you, but I know appointed, used here, I'm not quite sure that means which would also be translated ordained. I'm not quite sure that means the same as for ordained. Um, I, I think it would be a different translation, but, um, but um, we'll 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 pass that on. To, hey Greg, we'll pass it on to you in two weeks time. <laughs> so yeah, sure, sure. Hey buddy. Slightly, slightly different subject. Uh, okay. In 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 1527 when it says, therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting the way that modern culture, particularly modern American culture, has flipped that around? If somebody ste- steps up in a meeting at work and announces a policy decision that you think is strange or, or or that you don't particularly agree with, what is the first thing out of your mouth? Can I get that in writing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 is, it is a different... And that's one thing you need to, again, one of the things you'll, you'll learn um, as you continue to dig into the Bible is, is one of the, the first things you need to do is make sure you're in the proper context of the listener of the day. Make sure you're in the proper uh, cultural reference and because um, some things are a little different. And that's why we have different translations because, trust me, there's some words in the old English um, that you would not want to use in current English, even even today. Um, I remember when we went over to England and someone was wearing, you know, those bags with the, with, with the uh, zipper or whatever. And a bunch of us go, oh, that's a fanny pack. And all the English people are like, oh. And we're like, what did we say? And we find out what fanny means in England. And so there, there's just different um, usages of words. So um, you always want to make sure you're, you're culturally um, relevant in, in, in the proper so, and that's why I always, um, people ask why I use the NIV. I use the NIV at culture or at Cornerstone, because that's the Bible we're giving to our visitors, and those are the people I least want to confuse. And so that's why I always use the NIV here. If I, if I preach at Rock Point, I use the NLT. So, um, translations, some are better for reading, some are better for studying, but, yep. Anything else? Bueller, Bueller? All right. Well, thank you for <laughs> putting up with me um, um, tonight. It, w- it was fun to be back here. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, and then if anybody wants to come up afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the Church of Antioch. Thank you for that church that cared more about sending capacity than seating capacity, a church that, that listened to the Holy Spirit and sent valuable people out to radically change the world for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church in Jerusalem that when when a moment came to where they could have flinched, where they could have um, chose comfort, where they could have chose prejudice, where they could have chose so many other options, they chose the word of God. They chose salvation for all. Heavenly Father, I pray for our church. I pray for Cornerstone. I pray for the mind and every person in here. I thank you so much for each and every person in here. So many of of these people I've gotten to know over the years. And I I just thank you for their heart to dig into your word, not just to to learn it, to debate it, but to learn it, to go and and, and present it and to live it out. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for them. And I just um, pray that you continually give Lynn incredible wisdom and perseverance as he guides this church, much like James did the early church in Jerusalem. Um, give us as Cornerstone um, the power to worship you authentically, to grow in your word so that we can go out and serve um, the community and present the gospel, um, not only here in Chandler, but in Arizona and the United States and to the ends of the earth. We love you, and we absolutely praise you, and I just pray that you bring us back safely next Tuesday. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks so much.